Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Hello, this is Andrea Schwartz again. And today I'm going to ask the question, can a homeschooling mother create a successful business? Well, my guest today will answer this question. Leah McHenry is a wife and mother who continues to homeschool her five children. Her story is about learning how, by using proper principles of marketing, she could start and run a successful business. But I should add, not just one business, but three, all while continuing to do the things that a wife and mother needs to do. So, Leah, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Andrea, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. You know, it was back in 2014 when I first interviewed you, and your circumstances were quite a bit different than they are now. So why don't you share that? Oh, yeah. Back in 2014, I was going through the the Institutes for Biblical Law, the Institutes class, and that's how we really kind of came to know each other better. And at the time, I was uh, just really in the in the throes of having babies and just the you know nursing and, and being up in the night and all of that. Um, and then I also had a, this little hobby on the side, which was my my music career, just as a recording artist. And since 2012, I had really started pursuing this, mostly just because I really just felt compelled as an artist to release music. And because I was married and in the middle of having a family and my kids were so young, touring was not really an option for me. So I had to start figuring out, well, how can I get my music out there uh, without touring? And so what happened was I, I realized after trying to study the music industry that they didn't really have any good answers that would apply to me. And I ended up completely stopping studying the music industry and I instead started focusing on online marketing and because I, I, I saw these uh, online businesses doing very well and I thought, well, they're selling stuff online, so why can't I? So that's what I started studying and uh, by 2014, I was starting to bring in a little bit of income from my music recordings and just selling music and a little bit of merchandise online and um, that snowballed into creating an academy at the very end of 2015 is when I launched it. It was called Savvy Musician Academy. And uh, the whole focus on that academy is teaching other independent musicians how they can market their music online, you know, without a label and maybe without touring as well, just like I had been doing. And so that really, that took off, like I had no plans to really do anything other than uh, help bring in uh, more income into our family because we were just really struggling. We were struggling so badly, um, especially with the with the taxes in Canada. They're so high, and of course, like the the middle income, uh, middle class, and lower middle class, we just get hit so hard. And so I was just kind of desperate trying to help create that income, and my music was taking off a bit. But that academy. It, it completely snowballed and, you know, we were at a seven-figure level within, uh, I believe it was six months. So that was a shock, 
a complete <laughs> shock. <laughs> I mean, it was like, pinch me. Is this even real? And and actually, you know, we've had business mentors since then who you, you'd think that you had won the lottery or something, like that's how it would feel, but that's not actually the case. It was stressful. No, I definitely understand that. You talk to anybody, whether it's an athlete or anybody in business, sometimes success can be way more stressful than failure. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, their number one fear is not really of failure, it's of success, which is, you know, you don't really understand what, what is, why, why are people afraid of success? And I think that they're afraid to lose it all. And I had that, I had that moment too, when we hit that first success, it was a very strange feeling, almost ominous. Like I could, like, if if it came this fast, it could also go away that fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very strange place to be. And I I was like, okay, what does God try to teach us here? And so we, because also when that kind of success comes at you, you now are being thrown into a whole new level of responsibility. And it was like the fast track to, to level up in our own personal development, our financial management, um, just suddenly having to be a leader, suddenly having to hire people and train people and having never had done that before, uh, just this whole new world. Plus, having like an information education product online, you're really throwing yourself out there and you've got, you've got the trolls, you have the, the skeptics, you have all the fun stuff that comes with being on the internet. And wow, it was just, it was so overwhelming to, to just have that happen so fast. All right. So let's backtrack a little bit because a lot of the people who listen, not all, but a lot are homeschooling families and the tendency is to think when they hear or someone hears your story that it's like, well, she just must be exceptional. I could never do that. She must be superwoman. And then, of course, you'll have the skeptics. Well, how well are her children educated? But I think having been a homeschooling mom for as long as I was, I actually was an active homeschool mom for 30 years. There's something about the mindset that says you're even going to take on that task that helps you pursue and research things. So it really doesn't surprise me that with some study, you figured out how to do it because that's kind of what homeschooling is about. Oftentimes the homeschooling parent is teaching herself as she's teaching her children. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, now that you you brought that up, uh, when I think back, I think that homeschool families already have an advantage in that they have to be self-starters. They have to be self-motivated and they're really, they're willing to learn anything that they need to learn and not have somebody have to stand there and tell them what to do, which already, you know, like 98% of the population doesn't do anything unless they're told what to do like by the government or by here, here's the public school system. Here's what you have to learn. Just go through the machine. Whereas, you know, entrepreneurialism by nature is extremely independent, extremely like we're, we're trailblazers, right? And nobody's standing there telling, I mean, when you wake up in the day, nobody's telling me what my schedule needs to be. I have to come up with that and be a self starter and a self learner. And actually, so that's where I think entrepreneurialism is, is so strong in homeschool families is because also, I mean, with, even with kids, like in our family, we right now we're doing a lot more interest-based learning and our kids are having to learn to manage their time and manage what they're learning and 
and we're monitoring that and guiding that. But we never had that in public school or even in private school. Everything was kind of dictated to us. And so I think you get to adulthood and you're almost anxious. You know, it's like this, like, what do I do with my life? I just think it's going to be a lot less the case with our kids and other homeschool families. Like they, they already know how to manage their life a little bit. So oh, absolutely. I've talked to professors in colleges and um, they've said they can always tell the students that were homeschooled because they know how to learn and they don't have to be babysat as much as the others and some who even come from private schooling education. But I think um, my greatest awareness of the homeschooling mindset and mind you, mine is most influenced by my exposure with Christian homeschoolers, is it that if there's a problem, whether it's a medical problem with one of their children or a learning problem with one of their children, or like you said, we have to do something because financially we've got to make all this work, there's the underpinning that says there's going to be a solution because God is faithful. Yeah, absolutely. And those problem-solving skills have all the makings of a very good business. So, you know, like that's one thing we've really learned since then too is like you said, if you, if you've got a, a medical problem or any kind of problem, like I think one thing that an advantage we have as homeschool families is we know how to research. <laughs> we yes. can research anything and find answers pretty, pretty easily. And then we know how to take action based off of that research. I think most of the population has no clue how to even look up anything outside of just the first five listings in Google. Right. And oftentimes, the more research you do, the more you get contrary opinions and perspectives. And a lot of people will say, well, I get so frustrated when I research because I get all these different opinions. Well, that's great because then as you piece all the things together, you actually get to formulate your own opinion. Yes, exactly. And in today's political climate and everything, it's really important that we're doing all that research because as you know, you type something into Google and they've got very filtered answers for you. Yes. So we, you know, teaching kids about that and going deeper and hey, we need to we need to do our own fact checking, right? Not the Google fact checking or Facebook fact check. We need to do our own by going deeper, going to other sources, and all of that. So I think we definitely have uh, that advantage. So let's get back to your journey. So first, it was the music that, um, and I know that you do everything with your music. You may get some other people to help or or guide you in it, but you mix the music, you, you write the lyrics, you do all the necessary editing. How does somebody who's got not one, but five kids who you're responsible for and a husband, how do you figure out how to partition your time? You know, I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> If, you know, I, I'm uh, definitely far from, I don't have, I don't have it all together when it comes to that. But most of all, I think my philosophy is I really work in seasons. And so I'm not always writing albums and focusing on all my businesses, hardcore all the time. What I do is I have seasons of writing, seasons of album launching, and then I take a break from that. So in 2020, I took a complete break from my music career. I didn't even send my fans emails. I told them why and that I was going to be putting my focus on uh, a different 
brand, a new brand that I built, which is a, a candle business of all things. It's kind of a sister brand to my music, all fantasy-based candles. So I, I really am intentional about what I'm working on. And then also there's real freedom in building a team. And so my candle business is now at the point where like we went, we scaled from, you know, making candles in my kitchen, my kids helping to uh, 15 employees. And we were like hiring during the pandemic. Everybody else is shutting down and letting people go. We were hiring. And um, so we've got a, a team of 15 and having really competent people in place frees my time up significantly. So I'm, I'm still coming to the meetings. We're making high level decisions, but, uh, then I, I, I mean, I'm only working on that business maybe five hours a week tops, uh, and I, on just the important stuff. There's a real freedom to delegating. Um, my kids, I delegate a lot of the household chores. Like I, I don't remember the last time I did laundry. Quite frankly, it's been years because my kids do it. <laughs> right. So, you know, they have a lot of responsibility. I don't remember the last time I unloaded the dishwasher because my kids do it. <laughs> they, they. Right. So they've got a lot. Um, and that we hold them responsible for. And so that definitely takes care of a lot of just the household stuff. And so Steve and I take turns uh, cooking with the kids. So everybody cooks, like we're all doing that, kind of sharing that responsibility. Um, and then they have a lot of responsibility this year uh, with their with their education, because they're really a lot more in charge of what's going on with that. And they're a little older now too. So my my oldest is turning 15. And that changes things too. It was different when they were little. You have to really adapt and adjust based on the ages of your kids. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think that children should be children. You know, don't give them responsibilities. They only have their childhood once. But first of all, that's a rather new concept in the history of the world. But my experience is, is when you make your children work and the mundane menial things, some of them come up with the idea that when they're older, they're going to make enough money so that somebody else can do this for them, which is fine. And others just know how to do it, whether or not they ever have to do those things. But having them involved in the business or helping the business operate by doing other things, to me, seems like a tremendous education. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I had a farm, they'd be doing, they'd be working on the farm right now, but we don't have a farm. We have an online business. So, uh, you know, the, they're, they're helping out in different ways. And they, and even at the beginning of my, my candle business, um, which also went to seven figures in a very short amount of time, about nine months in 2020, they, they helped, they were in the kitchen with us. They were making the candles and that was sometimes their school for the day. It was like, Hey, we have this huge pre-order that just happened. Everybody like all hands on deck, everybody's helping, they're helping packing, shipping. And so they're really learning a whole lot via osmosis. And um, even just this morning, we, we have like a, a little formal morning time that where we study whatever it is we want to study. So I'm usually reading to them. We're reading through C.S. Lewis right now. And then um, I was taking them through a course called Million Dollar Brand. And so they're they're learning stuff that they would never, ever, ever learn in a public school setting or even in, you know, it's just that's the type of family we are. So they're just getting this, this totally interesting education um, that I never would have imagined even five years ago. Uh, but they learn so much via osmosis and, and then they're putting in work in a different way. Right. And I don't think by the time they get to decide what their life calling is, and we're going to talk about calling in a bit, but that it's not like 
in your household, they only have to do your business. You're actually helping them um, explore lots of different avenues so that they can make those kinds of responsible decisions as they get older. Yeah, I feel really strongly about that too. So, I mean, being in any household, I think you're going to take on a bit of what your parents are all about. I mean, that's going to be a bit of the culture of the home, but uh, that's why we're encouraging interest-led learning right now. I mean, they all have the basics, but outside of that, we really want them to pursue passions and figure out what their giftings and callings are, because that's what we want to help them do. And if it ends up that they become entrepreneurs like us, cool. If not, that's totally fine. Um, so we we just want to encourage them to be what God has called them to be, whatever that is. So let's talk about calling, because I'm sure there are people who are listening to this and say, well, I mean, we could do what they're doing, but we just don't have good ideas. Or I don't know, I'm just an ordinary person. How would you coach somebody into finding the frame of mind, finding the thing that would be the right fit for them and their family? In regards to finding a business? Yeah, if that's what they wanted to do. If they said like, especially since everybody's been spending a lot of time with each other the past year, maybe people might be hesitant saying, oh, we're always together. You know, things were better when my husband went off to work, but now he's working from home. So how would people say, okay, let's pursue this entrepreneurial thing? What would be your advice as to how they would get started? Man, if you're starting from scratch and just wondering what direction to take, that's a big one. I would probably be looking at, you know, their existing skill set, their existing interests and passions, and like what's the big problem that they could solve in the world. Um, our candles, for example, they don't really solve a problem. It's more that they bring joy to really nerdy people. And so <laughs> that's that's actually our our mission for the company is we bring happiness to fantasy nerds. That is that is our mission. Um, so it, it, it could either solve a problem or bring joy to people. But I, I would look at like, is there something you already have an affinity for? Are you your own target market for something that is a need or a or a strong desire. And then I would start taking a look at that audience. And so something I've learned over the years is, you know, you don't launch products, you launch to audiences. And because if you have a specific audience that is really passionate about something or really trying to solve a specific problem, that will dictate what the product is and even the series of products or the product line. So it's really going to come down to which audience, which person can you really help? And so um, that should help get them brainstorming. All right. If you wouldn't mind, give an example of the wrong way to do it, focusing on a product as opposed to an audience. Okay. So let's say I just decide to start making soap at home and I'm just going to make what makes me happy. I'm going to make what makes me happy and then put it on Etsy and hope that it sells. That would be the wrong way to do it. That's the way 95% of people do it. So instead you should spend amount, uh, a good amount of time researching uh, who is fanatical about X, Y, and Z topic. Um, like, the more fanatical and passionate the audience is, the easier it is for you. So you want to research that audience. So there's a fair amount of research involved. Um, and I, I definitely have some specific methods uh, that I that I teach about. Um, 
So spend time a lot in the researching and just even hacking like in Facebook groups and stuff. What do people create Facebook groups around? Is it solving, you know, Lyme's disease or is it, you know, I've been in mold toxicity groups lately. Everybody's looking for supplements and to help them detox their body from molds because it's a new discovery how our houses are all filled with mold. And it, or even, uh, you know, somebody did solve this one problem or an offshoot of that. Uh, Dave Asprey, the bulletproof guy, you know, he created bulletproof coffee beans that are mold free. Well, nobody knew that they were even drinking moldy coffee. They didn't know that beans could grow mold on them. And that's actually a really common thing. And here he came educating people about how you can uh, be putting extra molds in your body by drinking moldy coffee. So he came out with this product and, you know, he's got a whole line of things, but he, you know, that's a hundred plus million dollar brand now by solving that one problem. Like nobody knew that there was mold in coffee and he brought out that product, educated them and solved that problem. Kaboom. So that's just a simple example of, uh, of a passionate audience. So his audience would be, you know, people who are either trying to solve that problem or they would be considered, you know, biohackers. They're trying to, you know, help their bodies uh, perform at optimal levels. I see. I see. So for example, um, I could he I could almost hear people saying, well, do I have to build a multi-million dollar business? Do I have to think that that's what my goal is? Or would it be okay to satisfy a desire I have to fill a need and see where God takes it? Because I'm guessing not every idea that you've had always turns into gold. Yeah, I would say that, um, and that's happened to me a, a before, right? It's happened where, like with Sad Musician Academy, I never intended for it to be a multi-million dollar business. I just wanted to help my family. That was the that was as big as my aspirations were. Uh, with mythology candles, uh, that was a whole other thing. I definitely intended for that one to go big. But um, I would say, sure, you can do that. But I would also challenge people because 95% of the time I see people just think too small. And they're really like limiting their potential for what they could do. Um, so I, I definitely, and I think that comes from some beliefs about money, some beliefs about success, some beliefs about what God, what would please God or not. Um, and so I, I, I definitely challenge them on thinking too small, but I mean, you, if you just want to get going and test the waters, that's, I just call that an experiment, right? Like let's do an experiment and see, engage that experiment and see what the reaction is. I'm a huge fan of that. And then if there's potential, start setting some goals. And so I just take it from there. So there's the music business. There's the candle business. There's the teaching coaching business. Have I left anything out? Those are the main ones. Um, I am starting uh, just like more of a general uh, social media for myself, just teaching business in general. Um, so people can find me on Instagram. It's Le uh, real Leah McHenry, where I'm just talking more about building a product-based business. So I'm always trying to uh, just reach a specific audience that I can help. So it's not officially like a thing yet, though. Right. Okay. How many of your customers, clients, have you ever seen face-to-face -face, or is it mostly an online relationship? In the academy, uh, the, the online, the Musician Academy, that's 100% virtual. And our, our Mythology Candles business, we manufacture in person, but all of our customers are online as well. We're selling everything online. There's no in-person, there's no storefronts, there's no nothing. 
And do you constantly reevaluate if you have targeted your audience correctly? Yes. I think it's pretty dialed in for the most part, but it can always improve. Yeah. So you said something before that I think is worth discussing. Um, a lot of people read that the Bible is against money. And they say the Bible says the love of money. Well, they don't realize that it's the love of money rather than money. And really what we want is families to build wealth and wealth is actually more than money. Like in your case, I would say whatever your bank account looks like is part of your wealth, but the relationship you have with your family working together, the relationship you have with the people who work for you, that's wealth, that's community. And I think people, as you said, narrow it down to it's always just about dollars and cents. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because well, the thing about revenue and and just basing it on that, well, first of all, the government takes half of it. So there goes that. Um, so you definitely don't want to define wealth by what's in your bank account alone. That's very depressing. So uh, even, even with success. So um, outside of that, I mean, we're thinking about how can we leave an inheritance to our kids? Uh, this is a very difficult era of time that we live in where we're taxed on everything at every single point on everything you do you're taxed on this even inheritances and it's evil so we're trying to think like we have a major disadvantage in many ways uh, compared to our grandparents and in previous generations where you actually got to keep what you earned for the most part so right. that makes it difficult more difficult we have to go more extreme to to bigger lengths to ensure that we can actually leave that inheritance to our kids so that's going to come down to like really good money management which we're still learning um, in other investments and relationships obviously like the things we're teaching our kids now that's going to affect generations to come because they'll have been raised in a certain kind of home with a certain kind of culture and they're going to raise their kids a certain way it, there's you know we understand the generational impact of this what we're doing as opposed to the rest of the world. They only think about themselves. And when they die, that's it. Everything's gone. Uh, we understand there's a much bigger impact worldwide, what we're doing through our customers, uh, through our all the hires and the staff that we have, the impact we're making on their lives, and then our kids being raised in this. So wealth is definitely much bigger than what, you know, your cash flow that's happening every month. Right. So I um, spent a lot of time going through your websites, reading your blogs, because I think you get to know a lot about a person by the front face that they have. What biblical principles govern you in terms of, in the face of like these obstacles, like you work really hard, you do really well, and then half of it goes to not someone or an entity that's helped you, actually, it's they're part of the obstacles you have to jump over. How much do you think, it in, now that you see in a much more, let's say, clear way, what happens with business, um, does anything in your being a Christian and, and having a biblical worldview give you the impetus to say, we've got to correct this and, and maybe put some of your efforts there since you so clearly see the problem? Are you referring to like politically, like with the taxes and that kind yeah. of thing? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, we want to make an impact. And even just with like all the election stuff going on, both in Canada and just the, there's just corruption in, in every facet of our society right now. I think I feel very strongly the Lord just saying, 
you just you just build. I'll take care of the bad guys. You build. You focus on hiring. You focus on relationships. You focus on uh, making the best products that you can possibly make and making the biggest impact you can make. I will take care of these bad guys. So that's one thing that I feel strongly about. Um, so I can sleep like a baby at night, no matter who is elected or who is um, president. I, it doesn't matter. Um, right. My commission is the same. So that's that's a bonus for us. Uh, the rest of the world, some people are crying right now. Um, they're literally depressed, suicidal. Um, but, you know, Christians, we have a hope. We know what the future is. So um, get to work, basically. That's how that that's how my theology informs my daily actions. Right. And the interesting part about that, and I think I, I could say the same thing, it's so easy for people to think because you're prominent and you're out there that you have no problems and that there aren't times where you see doubt coming into your perspective and you realize you've been walking by sight rather than by faith. But what really, I think, has us kindred in our views is that we're about building we're not going to change national politics from our home, but what we can be doing and what you're doing and which I know lots of homeschooling Christian families are doing is like building an alternate business structure. Hopefully someday we'll have an alternate healthcare structure so that you don't have um, interference between you and your, your medical person, but the government is saying you have to do this or that. So I think the idea of building is huge. And that's really what Christian Reconstruction is all about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So talk about what it was like when you said you were struggling. And I remember we talked many times in the midst of your struggle. How did your husband react to becoming part of the Leah business thing? And how did you maintain a business relationship as you attempted to uh, maintain a biblical marital relationship? Well, I'm really smiling when you're asking me this question because it is, it was, it's been a challenge uh, from a marriage perspective, but being business partners too, and it all stemming from Leah's brain. Um, it was a, it was an odd thing, but something that really helped us was this quiz we took it wasn't like a Myers-Briggs thing. It was a, a business leadership style quiz that somehow we came across with a book uh, called the Synergist Quiz. And there's a Synergist book and it's by a guy named Les McEwen. Program is called Predictable Success. And we kind of had an epiphany after the first launch of our, of our academy. And that was we found out that it was just more about our natural wiring in that Leah is off the charts visionary and Steve is what they would call an, an operator. And in this system, there's really four types of, of business leadership. There's So there's the, the synergist, which is really the person who gets along with everybody. They're very like kumbaya, just get along with everyone. Uh, you have the processor. Those are the people who just love spreadsheets and they kind of micro analyze everything, uh, but they keep things very orderly. Then you've got the operator who is the check things off the list person. They really uh, are the implementer and they they just like to get stuff done, but they don't currently come up with the ideas. Then you have the visionary and that's the person who always has the greatest idea every five minutes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we found out 
okay, so maybe our marriage is going to look different than we thought it did, or at least in terms of making money. And that is that Lee is really good at making money and Steve's really good at at, at maybe managing it and uh, maybe growing it and also implementing Leah's ideas. <laughs> so we, we ended up, it, it was a weird paradigm shift because I had always thought, oh, well, if the man is going to lead, then it has to be his idea. And I just, you know, the Lord just humbled us and said, uh, that's not always how it works. You know, it, it could be different for every couple. And so uh, we have just, you know, God just, blew through all of our preconceived ideas that way. And um, we still have a very, we have a traditional relationship, but we just really both had to grow a lot in maturity in order to see the potential for our marriage. And and after that quiz, we started getting along a lot better, funny enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. I'll I'll try to find a link to that. And then when I post this, um, I'll include that as well. Yeah, it is such a light bulb moment for people. I, even though it's a, a business leadership quiz, it is very helpful to just understand your spouse in that way. It'll, it'll make things, it makes so much sense. Well, when you think about what economics really is, economics is the managing of the household. Um, unfortunately, people thought home economics meant learn how to sew, learn how to cook, which of course, both things are very important, but it's also how to manage. And I really like what you said in terms of, Um, If somebody is an idea person and their spouse, and if it's a husband, isn't an idea person, rather than either saying, well, I can't express my ideas because God put him as the head, God did put him as the head. Organizationally, in a marriage, the husband is the head, but as Rush Dooney used to say, the husband's the king to the prime minister. In other words, they really are a team. It's not like, well, if somebody, you know, has the position higher up, structurally speaking, that somehow or other it doesn't work. We know that the Trinity has three persons and one God, and they don't fight and argue with each other. So we could do the same. Yeah, exactly. And if you think, you know, most presidents, most kings, you know, they have advisors around them, and a lot of them never make a decision without consulting their advisors. And, and they're it's so it's just people get so hung up with the with the leadership thing. And, but really, you know, God's design is the best. And it's, and sometimes we put man made ideas into God's structure, and those never really work out very well. So that is so true. That's where, yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say, and I've said this a lot, people who sit through my classes have heard this a lot. The word patriarchy has been hijacked and caricatured to the point that it, um, if you say it, it almost means that you're for women being dragged across the floor with their hair and, you know, told not to do this and not to do that. Uh, Again, I'll quote Rush Dooney. He points out that a patriarch is the one who's responsible for the family, the past, the present, and the future. And the patriarch is much more of a servant leader than he is you know, some sort of dictator. And when the people of God allow the enemies of God to formulate the meanings of these words, they do a disservice to themselves and to the scripture. We are a people of order, but we're also a people of gifts. And I always like to tell people the two become one flesh, but they're not now one person they still remain two people. Yeah. And that's important because I know a lot of the the crazies out there and the critics would try to uh, critique and say that, oh, you know, women are trying to find their identity in their husband. That is not biblical. Not at all. 
nor is a woman trying to find her identity in her gender. <laughs> we find our right. identity in Jesus Christ. That's right. Amen. Yes. Okay. Now, because, and I don't necessarily want you to go into detail, but I know that there have been many times in your Christian walk that you've had to deal with family members who did not appreciate your stance on things. And we'll just leave it at that. When you became successful um, by the world's standards, did they change their attitude towards you? Or did you find that maybe they started respecting your point of view more? No, they didn't. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I have always tried to be me, but I, I guess sometimes, I don't know. I don't really don't know what to say about that other than I think that pride comes before a fall. And so we better all stay humble. Let's say uh, there's somebody who would like to talk with you, like to spend some time picking your brain. Obviously, um, the worker is worthy of her hire. What, what's your setup if people do want to utilize you as a coach or a mentor? Well, I've got a new Instagram account. They can find me. Uh, it's at Real Leah McHenry. I'm on Facebook as well, although I try to keep that more for friends and family. Uh, so they can go there. I have a website, a newer website, leahmchenry.com. And so they can go there and check things out. I'm kind of focused on helping uh, people in the future launch product-based businesses. So I'm actually working on a course right now to help people learn my research methods and how to launch a product and and get it successful as fast as they can. And I think we're in an opportunity right now that we've never seen before in terms of e-commerce. And so that's my that's my passion at the moment. Well, very good. How about, let's get back to music. Do you see more music in your future? Yeah, so I tried to do my songwriting on the weekends if, as time allows and if it, you know, if we're not outside with the kids at the park or whatever. So I, yeah, I'm continuing my writing process. And this year I don't, I don't have plans to release an album, but I'm just starting the process of uh, writing and seeing where it takes me. So no pressure at this, mo at the moment, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely release more music. Well, you're probably going to be more pressure on yourself than anyone anyway. <laughs> yes, too ambitious for my own good sometimes. So if you had to say that there was one particular song that you have written that sums you up the best and, and have recorded, what would that one be? Oh, goodness. I have to choose from all the songs I've released. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Well, the first one that comes to mind would be Edge of Your Sword or Lion Arises from the album called The Quest which you can find on Spotify and everywhere else you find music. You know, I was going to guess that because like I said, I spent time and I listened the edge of your sword and I thought, well, I, I get what she's saying there, or at least I think I get what she's saying. So, um, and I know I can link to the, uh, where you could hear it um, prior to purchasing it. Um, but I like your videos and how you um, interpret that. Do you do those yourself or do you outsource those? I definitely outsource. I'm not any kind of graphic designer or videographer person at all. I just focus on the music and marketing the music. But yeah. Yeah, because so. they're pretty impressive. Thanks. Yeah. These days, so I mostly do lyric videos because I don't 
haven't really had time to do. Music videos are kind of expensive, big production. Uh, I'll do in the future, but uh, lyric videos are really easy to produce and they're ready in a few days. So you can hire a company and they'll just do it for you. And, and um, if, you're, if any of your kids listening are into uh, video editing or that kind of thing, there's quite a business around lyric videos. Musicians are always looking for a good lyric video. Okay. So I'll make this my last question because I promised you I wouldn't take up too much of your time. As you progress in your business and you see that there are areas that you should know more about, but you don't necessarily have time to do, like you said, um, video editing, do you then encourage your children to pick an area or even your husband to pick an area to learn about so that they can be part of what you need. And then instead of outsourcing a particular thing, another family member can do it. Yeah, that's starting to happen with my son who's um, turning 15. He is definitely getting into the video editing world. He's got his own little YouTube channel or he records Minecraft animations. He does, he does animating. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to utilize him for certain things of our business editing and so, so forth. But, um, you know, we're, we're not pressuring him to like suddenly level up to a certain skill level we need. So we utilize um, our kids if we can. And if not, then we, we will outsource. And so it's like a low pressure situation. And are all your employees local to you or are some of them in different parts of the world? Yeah, we have, uh, depending on the business, so our uh, our virtual academy, the on, uh, Savvy Musician Academy, though that's 100% virtual and they're all over the states. So we've had people um, around the world, depending on yeah where they are. And then uh, Mythology Candles, all of our candle crew is, is local. So we're actually hand pouring manufacturing locally um, in Linden, Washington. And then some of us are virtual. So we've got about five of us are on the virtual side of things. So we have a content writer in the UK. We have, um, you know, our, our, our ads guy is in Vancouver over here. So yeah, we're just, we're spread out. Okay. Well, you're helping the economy. You're helping people have work and knowing you, they get a good dose of what you believe. And so along the way, hopefully they're also growing. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes um, I'll give a little, spiel and by the way we we hire based on skill and qualification they don't have to agree uh, we don't have to match our beliefs about things with with everything uh-huh. but i do you know sneak certain things in there i know especially in in the washington area a lot of our employees are they're coming from this extreme liberal city very very liberal and so they bring with them those views and a lot of them probably have preconceived ideas about um, even just uh, profit, that profit is bad and big corporations are bad and everything, you know. So I, I've given spiels before in our meetings about why profit is a good thing and why a business needs profit. And when we're more profitable, that creates more opportunity for you. And so I try to present it in a way where they understand that there's actually a win-win. You know, a, a customer isn't going to spend money unless they actually think it's worth it to them. So it's a win-win exchange there. With they're exchanging their money for our product because they agreed that it was worth that. And then our business is profitable. We're able to hire, we can give raises, we can give bonuses. So just introducing some of those concepts to some of our liberal employees is kind of, it's, it's fun. It's a joy to be able to just 
be able to educate a little bit. And they're like, oh, opportunity well, for me. Good. Exactly. I think, especially if people have gone through um, training in socialism, which most um, public education is, they are always counting on the fact that the good works will be done by the government taking money from the rich guys, as opposed to doing a good service for people, being compensated for it, and then having excess money that you can go out and do good where you think good should be done. Um, I think a lot of people transfer presuppositions once they see how it actually works. And since too many people spend too much time in higher education, they've never gotten the opportunity to even see it. So they believe mm -hmm. what they've been told that the government will take care of everybody. That's right. And we actually implement uh, a lot of transparency. We actually share our actual revenue numbers every single week in our team meetings. And I don't think that's something that a lot of businesses do uh, where we're sharing with, it doesn't matter what position you hold in the company, you know how much the business is bringing in so that you're, they're also motivated to help it succeed so that they're creating opportunities from the, for themselves and upward mobility. Like we want to promote them. And so we tell them that regularly. So it's, it's really fun. That's great. Okay. One last question. I think I said that before, but this will be <laughs> it. So when you were talking about the four different types in um, a business, I suppose it could work in any other organizational thing. If it's ministry that doesn't necessarily have financial gain as its goal, but service or however you're going to do it. Do you think it's worthwhile to examine your children and say, is this a visionary? Is this an operator? Is this a processor? Or do you think that early on, if people were to appreciate all the different roles, that it's not just a one per person, it's not like a stagnated thing that, you know, if, if you were more in one way, could you develop in the other? Or do you think it pretty much is you are what you are? Yeah, actually, in the book, he talks about how synergism is actually a learned trait. Now, some people fall out of bed and they're already a synergist. They're just wired that way, but everybody needs to learn to become synergistic. And so you really, and that's the way you prevent from killing each other in any, <laughs> you know, in a marriage, in a business setting, in a ministry setting, because these different roles, I mean, you have a natural wiring and of course, everybody's a, a different, maybe a, you know, they're spread out across all four of them, right? So you can have different levels of them. When you do the quiz, they give you a breakdown. Oh, you're 500 of visionary, 200 of processor, 60 synergist or whatever. So yes, you can learn to adopt some of those things. And uh, those numbers will change according to like the season of life you're in and what you're working on. So I've had times where I was really having to act as an operator in the business. I was the only one who could do X, Y, and Z. So I had a higher operator score at the time. But when I'm really freed up and I've got a team in place to take care of certain things, I'm off the charts visionary. Like I'm all visionary mm -hmm. and I'm six, over 600, whatever. And so that's really my natural wiring when I'm not having to operate in those other things. I think it's just, you know, all these things are just a tool. You shouldn't be defined by them, but they can be helpful tools. And right. it, for me, I can start to identify in my children. Oh, I think they've got, you know, a processor tendency. Okay, cool. Well, I can help. This makes sense for what they're drawn to, what their propensities are. And um, so I was already able to detect my son is off the charts visionary. He's a creative. He's very introspective. He's this crazy piano player that, you know, I, I never even wanted him to get into classical. And he's just learning these incredible pieces, stuff like that. 
it just is a helpful tool. Don't ever be defined 100% by it. But at the end of the day, uh, those four different types, they really need each other. And there's a reason God has wired people in these different ways because you need them. And actually every successful business or ministry operation needs all four types to succeed and get off the ground. So we need each other. Yeah, well, and it goes back to the principles of that we're supposed to be in community, we're supposed to be regularly with each other. And what I tell people, because my husband and I have been married 45 years, and out here in California, that's like a milestone. Now, I remember growing up people who had 60-year anniversaries or 70-year anniversaries, right? But 45 seems to be big here. And um, the question is, well, how did you do it? And it's, it's right there in the Lord's Prayer, forgiving trespasses, because when you spend enough time with anybody, count mm -hmm. on it, they will trespass against you and you will trespass against them. And you really got to get over it and learn how not to ignore it, but to settle it and move on. And I think that the synergistic personality is someone who can help smooth the waters when <laughs> they get That's really, right. really turbulent. Yeah. And those people are really necessary in an organization because actually, and it, I just recommend get the book, The Synergist too. It's very, it's very good. He explains all this, but you know, visionaries and processors clash. If you just put them to those two people alone in a room, they really will clash. <laughs> so you need, you need, they either need to be, you know, grow in their maturity and adopt more synergism, or you've got to have a synergist personality in there, just kind of calming the waters, like you said. Right. Uh, so yeah, very useful stuff. Well, great. So I'm going to let you um, go through all the places. If people might be interested in hearing your music, give that um, URL and go through the whole litany of it so people will know where to find you. Okay, here we go. So if you want to find my music, it's considered Celtic metal. So if you think of like Lord of the Rings and Enya and uh, Metallica or Evanescence kind of in a blender. That's kind of what, that's what you get. Um, so that's, uh, you can go to liamusic.net. That's my music website. Um, SavvyMusicianAcademy.com is our academy where we have self-paced courses for independent musicians on uh, teaching them how to uh, market their music online without a label. And then MythologyCandles.com. That's my sister brand. That's the candles. And leahmchenry.com is more for the business coaching stuff. Okay. After our interview was complete, I asked Leah if I might share the song Edge of the Sword. And she gave me an okay to include it here.
Feel free to comment on this and any other topics out of the question podcast at gmail.com and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.